0: Great word of wisdom is if you don't like something, change it, but but recognize that uh, a lot of things are out of your control. So try and change those things that are in your control, I guess. Another thing I learned just last week, if you're down in a slump and you're like, you know, a bit depressed, you can do this exercise where you just look at your breakfast in the morning. Oh yeah, I cooked that breakfast and I made myself a drink, a coffee and a tea. You kind of look at it and you're like, wow, was that really Now That kind of feels like a dream now. Like that was six hours ago. If you take that perspective, to your depressed period and you think you know in five years time i'm going to look back at this and i'm going to laugh try and hold that perspective if you're feeling down because everything passes really and um you should try and change it and be a bit happier but i mean obviously that's a bit idealistic sometimes it's it's really tough you're
1: listening to ecomonics a debutify podcast your resource for one of the kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age this is joseph I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. My guest today, filmmaker and media presenter for Debutify, Connor Kerr-Lewis, and I joined the company at a relatively the same time, and frankly, my working relationship with him has been a highlight of my time here. Although this particular episode is not replete with actionable e-commerce knowledge, it is an in-depth examination of how one world can shape so many lives in so many ways. And it does so without abandoning our core commonality, that each and every human being has encountered someone who wants to knock them out cold. Connor Kerr Lewis. I've been looking forward to this day for for some time now. It is good to have you here in Ecomonics. How you doing today, man? How you feeling?
0: Yeah, I feel real good. Uh it's a beautiful day here. Um yeah, it's been a while. We've been talking about this for at least a year, if not nine months. At least well, I I I don't know about yeah, I don't know about at least
1: a year. I don't think either of us have been here for Quite that, uh, quite that long, but this has definitely been a, a long time coming. So, uh, to to our audiences, our respective audiences, uh, uh, Connor is uh, also an employee of Debutify, and he does the YouTube side. And so we thought, eh, let's do a little bit of cross pollination. We want the YouTube people to know what we're up to on Ecomonics, and we want the Ecomonics people to know what we're up to on the YouTube. So. That's the objective of today, so it's an in-house conversation. We're going to have ourselves uh, some fun, get to know uh, each other uh, a little bit better, and I also want to be super transparent with my audience, as I did zero preparation for this because I wanted to see how you know how I how I fare in improvising a conversation on on a podcast uh and extra transparency i'm also not tracking time for this so that is as transparent as i can be under the circumstances connor why don't you tell us what you do um in a more extensive way than i had described
0: what do i do mm, good question i am very lucky i um, basically am an employee of to beautify and i make youtube videos mainly that's kind of the the bread and butter Uh, one YouTube video a week, but uh, recently it's kind of bumping up. We do ads, we do webinars. uh, I do in-house tutorial videos. Yeah, it's really quite extensive and fun, but it's mainly I write something and then I record it and my face is in the recording.
1: I I think you and I both probably um, share, share a similar experience in that with companies that are on the forefront or on the frontier and are rapidly expanding is the roles that we sign up for are not the exclusive roles that we end up doing so i myself you know i just uh, signed up to, to to host a podcast and uh and next next thing i know i'm you know running the multimedia department uh which means gaining a pretty vast amount of experience in a lot of places i wouldn't expect to gain experience so i mean managing a team didn't see that coming providing feedback on other people's material didn't see that coming vsls i had no idea what the hell those are even though i'd seen them for years prior to prior to this so learning what they are uh, learning how to do them same with webinars and and i and i think this speaks broadly to really one of the beautiful things about uh, a frontier industry such as e-commerce is that there's so much new ground to gain and, and to explore that most people will end up playing multiple roles especially for people like us where we have i guess the luxury or the privilege to be front-end be front-facing and do performative work and then also be able to do back-end uh, work as well so did you see that coming too when you when you or did you not see it coming when you signed up or like what you thought you were getting into versus what you're doing now yeah well
0: my my one of my bosses my old um uh, he was an owner at a bar I used to work out as the manager there. He, he sat me down once and he said, I know you want to be a film director, but you're not going to, you're not going to make the movie that you want, you know? And he he looked at the bar that he was in. It was this beautiful seafood bar and we made cocktails and we lived, uh, we lived in Takapuna on the beach. And he was like, I, I just wanted to run a bar and I just kept that goal going for 30 years. And I do run a bar. This is not the bar I thought I was going to run. I didn't know it would be here and what we're doing now. And uh, that's kind of what's going on at Beautify. I, I wanted to make videos my since I was like 11 years old when I moved to New Zealand. Um, I started making videos. And uh, I guess that's kind of the thing. If you keep your goal broad enough, you can, you can keep making um, progress. I definitely didn't know what a VSL was <laughs> and um, uh, definitely want to steer clear of them, but they're, they're, they're actually pretty fun at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. And, and there's a lot about your, your background, you know, you and I, we've uh, we, we've talked many a time and um, you know, so, so I, so I've been able to pick up on, uh, on on some of your, your background, but we haven't really had a chance to, uh, to really dig into it. So you said you moved to New Zealand when you were age 11, uh, I had, I did. I did peg you for a native New Zealander. Um, is are you a native New Zealander or are you a native of a different country?
0: Yeah. So yeah, in 2006, uh, I'm born in Plymouth in England, and uh, my dad's in the Royal Navy. And so from yeah zero to eleven, we moved all the time. And actually, I've kept that up for the next 15 years. <laughs> that yeah, my dad went to the uh, second Gulf War and the Bosnian conflict. And uh, that was in the early 2000s. And yeah, my parents just said, this is kind of ridiculous. Like uh, dad could get killed and we're already just moving around so much that it's such a like displacement for the, for the project of owning, for the project of just like being in a family. So we originally were going to move to Argentina for just one year and then uh mom and dad were like you know why not new zealand and um it happened very quickly like in about two months we switched from argentina we were doing spanish lessons and then we yeah just got on a plane my parents had never been here and uh, we just moved when i was 11 yeah and my mum still wants to go home to the UK. It's uh, it's and I I've been back a few times. Um, I used I just lived in the UK for uh, two years by myself, and yeah, it's weird having a whole extended family and friends who live on the other side of the world. Like I, my girlfriend Jill, she says I have three lives because I have uh, friends in in Massachusetts and like a community in Massachusetts. And I have my friends and family in New Zealand, and then I have my friends and family in Edinburgh and London. So it's a bit chaotic, but that's kind of the thing.
1: No one in my family, uh, as far as I know, are are in the military or uh, have even uh, so much as picked up a weapon. Um, Of course, I come from an Italian family, so. It would have been a bit of that. Well, I mean, in an Italian family, most things can turn into a weapon. But that that aside, I I guess I, I can't help but wonder what. I guess mindsets or, or or lessons or insights or perspectives were uh, instilled in you uh, having somebody in, uh, in in the military now is it fair to say military or do you prefer to go specifically into navy because I understand that there are true true yeah i mean both 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 might uh, might participate in conflict, but one's you know naval and one's not
0: yeah, yeah, no, my
1: dad says military
0: so okay. yeah uh, and yeah, definitely it's a really good question the the installation happened early. I uh, my dad made me go to Sea Cadets from 9 to 18. So I was kind of being groomed for um leadership. Um, it was weird actually. In Sea Cadets, they always said, uh, we're not, we're not making you ready for the Navy. That's not uh, what this is. And I always thought it was because it was just fully a mini younger version of the Navy. You did yeah, firearms training, uh, we did um tramping training where you'd go and like do survival in the in the bush uh, we'd run complete drills of of platoons and i i uh, i was the when i left there I was a chief petty officer so it was like the highest rank you can get to in the kind of the corpse um and yeah i was there for nine years so it makes sense and yeah it was only like about a year ago that i met someone in government and he said the whole idea of the cadet corps um is actually to create the leadership of New Zealand and it's the same in in the UK because I was in the cadets in the UK and yeah it definitely instilled a lot of lessons i think the main the main thing i've retained is discipline like i love my cold showers in the morning um i like to just like do the things that i know are like short term painful but long term really rewarding communication skills were really kind of like we we did teacher training for Once you, so basically from nine to 15, you're just like a grunt and you just have to kind of do stuff. But then when you do 15 to 18, you do like leadership uh, courses and they try and, they try and teach you how to be a teacher. And so, um, you have to, you have to do lessons like every Wednesday I would teach a lesson like a whole hour. Yeah. You definitely learn how to kind of articulate. And then if you have any issues with other cadets, they try and. Teach you how to resolve that. Like there's a lot of kind of egos where people are like, I'm the, I'm the higher rank here, and I'm older than you, and I'm bigger than you, and I'm I'm stronger than you. And I'm a skinny young guy, and like there's a lot of big guys at cadets, and you had to just sort of take them aside and say, have we got a problem? Uh, let's just resolve this quietly. Like, there's a really bad thing you can do in the military, and that's discipline somebody in public. Like it's so bad for the morale. And if you, if you can take a guy who's older than you, stronger than you, and like a higher rank than you and just be like, Hey dude, I I don't like what you did there. And it's scary, but I think if you do it a hundred times, you eventually learn how to just talk to people.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I'm not a history buff, but every now and then I, I pick up snippets of it. If it happens to be on TV or, uh, uh I guess more recently, uh, passes into my YouTube algorithm, and I remember that um, I believe this would be the Civil War, which uh, George Washington was um, in command of, and I'm I I don't remember if he was the North or the South. My my, my he was definitely North. North. Okay, yeah, thank you for that. And uh, and and his army was facing some serious morale issues. There were deserters, and he. Felt compelled to um, hang some of the deserters, some of the ones that were caught in front of the army. And that didn't do good for morale, but they decided that they had to because they also wanted to instill in people you cannot leave the, the army. What they showed is he had. Uh, I think it was a, a French uh, a general or commander started teaching them about discipline and started teaching them to really think like soldiers and to uh, t- you know even just like improve their posture at the very least. And he trained up a bunch of these people. They all went out. They trained up a bunch of people and it started turning the the, the conflict in their favor. And it just rem- what you're what you're telling me reminded me of the difference between you know publicly uh, reprimanding people in front of everybody um, to send to send a message to. Try to get everybody to fall in line at the same time, versus privately dealing with that. And it's actually kind of a surprise, if I'm being honest. I, I from you know, I guess the stereotypical depiction of the military in the TV. I guess I would always assume that if somebody were to be reprimanded, one would actually go out of their way to put them in front of everybody else to to make an example out of them, uh, even if they had an opportunity to do so in private.
0: Yeah, sometimes you do have to do it in public, uh, but. It's usually just for like a minor thing. And and that person who's doing the reprimanding would probably be an outlier in the system. The system is definitely telling you to just do it one-on-one because you kind of just get the opportunity to hear their point of view. If you're just yelling at right. someone across a field or across a hall, and there's like a 100 people around them, they're not going to be able to like shout back and be like, well, you see what I was trying to do there was...
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if somebody authority. wants to
0: shout at me in public, they're more than
1: welcome to be on the opposite side of a field and, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and start I mean, uh, shouting at me. At least that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So getting back to you know more 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 company stuff. Not that I don't want to go uh, I go into it more, but you know how it is. What I think is interesting about you and I is. That and we and we discussed this, I guess, in how we were conveying ourselves um, as the front people of the company. Is my persona is the guy who's basically like locked in his room pretty much all the time, and like my my I look out my window <laughs> and it's just other windows, and um, and 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 you're and you're the opposite. You are you know you're a traveler by nature. Um, even seeing, in your background, it's just, well, it's pretty bright right now, but usually when I can see it, it's trees and foliage, you know, you had mentioned that you had moved around quite a bit. Um, that is, I think what it, probably the most distinctive uh, difference between our perspectives, because I didn't have that. And I don't know if it, it's a, it's a, if it's a luxury or if it's not a luxury, it's just a different experience. So I mean, I went to the same the same elementary school for for eight years, uh, hated it for 7.5 of those years. And then I you know went to high school uh, for four years, um, hated that for about 2.5, so slight improvement. Uh, and then I went to college, um, hated that for only 0.5 of those two years. So it was actually pretty good uh, in terms of how much of it I hated. Uh, I actually very, very appreciate my college program and have numerous good things to say about, about them. But all the while my worldview is always expanding, not unlike the a uh, rock being dropped into water and seeing the ripple go outwards. At first, my worldview is just going to school. And then like for me, adventure is going to the mall because it's oh, it's this big place and there's and there's and there and there's stuff to do. And then, you know, high school, my worldview expands a little bit. Um, I start to be more comfortable even like going downtown. And college, again, it expands because I have to go even further out. Uh, and then, well, then, you know, then we're locked down and now we're, I'm stuck in my room for the last year. But my worldview has been very methodical and slow, but I anticipate that it will continue to grow, especially in the next five to 10 years, depending on how things go here. And travel has to become more of a uh, important component to, uh, to my growth and development. So if, if everything is going according to the pattern, my worldview will continue to expand. So I'm going to ask you the I'm going to ask you, uh, you know, your, your perspective in, in an opposite of sense, And I just want to make sure what I said is makes sense first. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. You're getting the nod. So, but with you, it's, you know, you've, you've gone to a number of different places and that travel, um, uh, really the, the persona of the traveler uh, is in, it continues to uh, manifest I, in the time that we've been working together, which has been r- almost a year, y- you have had like 12 different backgrounds for yeah. all the different places that you've been. So, would you say that you're 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 used to traveling that it it's a, it's a second nature to you um and is the idea of really being in one place for a long period of time to you is that foreign in the same way traveling
0: is a foreign idea to me? Yeah, that could be a good way of describing the dichotomy. Yeah. It's um yeah, this is my 17th house. So, it's a bit different. I I think what you said earlier about the like the the luxury or the or the kind of like con of it. There's definitely a lot of both. Like my best friend, Michael, he's lived in Lavery Place for 24 years. And his house to me, I've been going to his house for 16 years. So I'm like, this is kind of like stable, comfortable. You get that from a long-term place. From moving so much, I've definitely benefited because I find it easier to make friends. So yeah many primary schools. Um, and yeah, lots of different areas. And yeah, lots of different countries. Yeah, I think making friends is a lot easier. It's it's a hard thing to pin down if it's good or bad. There's definitely like a chaos that it brings. But at the same time, there's like a stripping away of the superfluous. Because like you said, it's easy for me to travel. And the reason it's easy for me to travel is because I don't own many things. Like I, I just have the stuff in my bag. And I'm good to go. Like I I just, yeah, just recently went to Massachusetts with just a small, you know, 30 liter backpack. And people look at me and they go, that's crazy, you know. But yeah, it's the same thing. I went to the UK for two years with just the same backpack. And you actually just like don't need that much. You know. People end up giving you stuff. (laughs) That's what you'll find. If you show (laughs) up somewhere with a small bag, just middle aged people go, Oh, you need a raincoat, dude. You need like my old pair of jeans and here you go. And you end up just being like, Jesus, I got all this stuff, but yeah, it's cool. Anybody ever offer you a firearm? <laughs> <laughs> I've been given like a letter opener that looks like a firearm. Yeah. No firearms are, are scary.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 for good reason too. Uh, I, I completely agree on that. I, I, I guess another um, way to add some, some perspective to it is from, from my view, it's enviable to, um, to, to imagine all of these different places you get to visit. Cause I know like you, you got to visit Kenya for instance. And what I think it does is it does make me consider whether or not I've accumulated, uh, the same density of experience, um, being in a more routine place where a lot more tends to fall into the muscle memory and there's more than a lot more of life is lived on autopilot. Um, and again, this time, time back to our position here is, you know, the beauty of what we do is that because it's constantly on the frontier, but there's always, you know, new things to learn. And so there's very little of this position that's uh, on autopilot and for a good reason. And so that's what I would envy of of a, of a traveler. Um, but if possible, are there things that you've envied about people who do have more of a structured lifestyle where they, well, like me, they just pretty much are in one place for A good long time. I've only been in this apartment for one year. uh, And then I spent, with the exception of one other year that I lived downtown, which to me was like my semi third year of college. I've been in with my parents the entire time.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a good question. I don't think most people envy that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't want to live with my parents. (laughs) Yeah. From coming back from uh, the numerous trips, I find that like uh, there's three of my close friends who haven't really done traveling. Sorry to call you out, but Bryn, Matt, and Harry have all said this to me. They've said, you know, I just want to do what you've done. And then I have other close friends like Kane, and, uh, Kane, Michael, and Connor who've gone traveling with me. And nobody who I know closely has done the extent of what I've done. But there's definitely people, obviously, who've done far, far more than me. And the difference... Yeah, with like Kane, Matt, and with uh, Matt, Harry, and Bryn, you have a... A real solid base. Like those three guys are like on their way in terms of like a orthodox, solid lifestyle. Like they're all probably going to be able to buy a house soon. Uh, they've got a good community of people around them. But yeah, the density of experience is, I'd say, more valuable because, like Kenya, for example, I met people there who I stay in touch with now who have just wildly different perspective. Like it is a it is a third world country and it's probably the powerhouse of sub-Saharan Africa. Like it's not even as bad as other places in terms of like the poverty levels. But the, the really interesting thing about like those people is that they have absolutely nothing. Like a friend of mine, Vincent, he's living in a room with his brother and his dad that is like probably the size of three of my desks. Like, it's just this small space here. Like the three of them can lie down together at night and that is the room. And then when they wake up, they kind of move the beds to the side and they have a little like fire in the corner. And yeah, I mean, they're living in a slum that has now been bulldozed by the government. Like their house when I lived with them has been mown down by diggers that is like just wildly different to all of my friends here like you know matt brennan harry of like doing really well biomed software engineer and um chartered accountant that that sort of density of experience the way that i draw upon it is like in it's completely like unequivocal like it, it just sort of comes up in me it like wells up sometimes i'll just be doing something i'll bank myself a coffee and i'm like damn you're lucky like those, those things that just people, people are like trying to get like just the meal, the next meal. And that definitely stays with you. You're like, I have a savings account and I'm going to be able to buy a plane ticket soon. And, you know, it's a, it's a different world. So, yeah.
1: It, it reminds me of a conversation I had with, um, with a background actor back when I was doing that. Gosh, darn, do I miss doing that. No, it's good fun. Oh, so, 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 so much fun. You spend most of the time just sitting around waiting to be called on set. And people sit around the tables, you make friends, this thing. I met my girlfriend of almost three years. Uh, through it. Just, just absolute, uh, love. would love to get back to it at some point. Um, but anyways, you know, he was telling me a story about you know, the first thing he went to Japan. And he was in for a massive culture shock. And it wasn't... The you know the 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 Kaiway Desu. It wasn't the anime. It wasn't the things that you see in vending machines. So I'm, I'm sure all of that was contributory. For him, it was the way everything was so clockwork that um, but it was a major sh- culture shock. The way traffic was all so well uh, automated and organized, and everything seemed to be moving like a well oiled machine, um, because the Japanese have such a, a, a incredible work ethic and And I should say they have an equally um, admirable uh, artistic and creative ethic as well and and I myself not having seen that, not even through through a video, I kind of got the the feeling from him, but it just wasn't the same as a, of course of him actually actually being there and, and seeing it for himself. so would you say that your, your your time in Kenya was probably your most significant culture shock, given that you know people lived in tiny homes that were being bulldozed or was um, the, is there like a more significant experience that sticks out to you? Two
0: answers. The culture shock happens back home. You like, it was probably the same with your friend on back and the background acting like you go there and you're just completely in in rapture with like the novelty. And then when you come home, you're like, (laughs) Whoa, what are you guys doing? You're doing it all wrong. Like, The main beautiful thing about Kenya was that those people who had nothing were the kindest people, like uncomparably, like I would just walk down the street and people would say, Hey, do you want to have some lunch at my house? I want to know about you. Like, what are you doing in Kenya? I would, I would like play football with my students and people would come join in the game. And then they'd say, Hey, what are you up to right now? You want to, Hey, like go play basketball, come meet my parents. and." It was just like that is never going to happen here on the street in New Zealand. If I go to the basketball courts now, I'm likely to talk to somebody, but like I'm more likely to meet somebody who's got their headphones on and who just wants to practice hoops. Yeah. The second answer, I think in South Africa, I had a bit of culture shock because it was uh, a lot of crime. And that was like pretty visceral and a lot of like preventative, kind of self fulfilling uh, infrastructure that kind of creates crime like just an unbelievable amount of fences and security guards and like militarized um just patrols and you're just trying to going places and you're like this whole area is kind of screaming that i am in the wrong place you know you're, you're kind of like just a pedestrian it feels like you've entered a, you're on the outskirts of a prison but you're in a prison and it's there's electric fences everywhere and there's people with guns and that was a bit different to Kenya. Kenya was very open, very much like you could just walk into anybody's house and they'd be happy to have you. But yeah, South Africa, it's like the complete opposite.
1: Would you say South Africa was probably the most you felt in danger? Cause I think for a lot of people, I'm one of the main um, uh, uh, limiting factors is th- there's not, not, not the excitement of the unknown, but it's the, the fear of the unknown uh, because somebody could take a trip and be on a complete guided tour the entire time, you know, the safety of a, of uh, a bus and a bunch of other tourists, and have a scripted, you know, almost like a cutscene of uh, of an experience, um, and just and just be a passerby versus really like get you know walking around and, um, well, uh, ma- making yourself more more vulnerable,
0: but to also have a more uh, I imagine authentic experience. Yeah, you definitely kind of create a shield to that vulnerability. Like as soon as I landed in Cape Town, people grabbed me by the hand, saying like, "This is the taxi you want to get." And you just immediately just put up a wall. You're like, uh, no, uh, I straight away. I just went to the bathroom to try and like, whoa, I have to like center myself. Where am I going to go from here? I can't just walk into that like mob of people that are trying to get my attention. There were some pretty close calls in Kenya, but I felt very safe. Most of the time, there was some like wildlife issues, but like, actually the, the, the experience that came to mind when you said most, most like fear was actually on a, a bikepacking trip I did in New Zealand so basically I was cycling from my house to the top of the country and it took me a whole month and I was going to come back and go the same way I can, the same way I left which was on the motorway which was like r- real not fun and I met another bikepacker in a hostel in, in a campsite and she was like you know there's actually a fisherman who takes people across the uh, Poto Harbour And you don't have to cycle on the motorway. You can just get a lift with him. And so I went kind of going that way towards the fisherman. And it was real vague. I didn't like get in touch with the guy at all. And I managed to get his phone number. And he said, yeah, if you come down to the end of the peninsula and wait for me at 2 p.m. Like on Monday, I can just pick you up. But the peninsula was like a full logging truck chaos center. Like, you're not, there's nothing there at all. There's like four residents who live on this huge peninsula. And so what I um, was told to do was to like cycle at night to get there. But what ended up happening is I I cycled like a little bit down the road before it got into the kind of crazy um, logging truck territory. And I pulled into a pub and I had like a a pint um, and a pie and the pub was fully empty like it was like a movie scene like real eerie just like one lady manning the the bar and she was just like yeah i'll get you a pie what can i get and these two guys walked in and they were just like bronze skeletons like old guys but like real like you know fit and they sort of they just kind of came over to me like oh who are you what are you doing in town like and um i got chatting to them and they said Uh, you don't want to go all the way down to Poto. It's kind of, it's crazy. And I was like, Oh, but I'm going to go anyway. And they're like, well, before you go, you should come to our house and have some, have some joints and have some food. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, okay, sounds great. And um, they didn't really expect me to go. I, I, uh, I left them at the pub and it was like a 45 minute bike ride to the next town to uh, meet them. And I, yeah, cycled around the corner and I pulled into the house and walked through the door and they both like burst out laughing. And um, yeah, I spent the night with them, but I did just get really paranoid. <laughs> and uh, I just sent all my mates uh, in the group chat, like my location. And I was like, if I don't um, <laughs> message you guys tomorrow, I have been eaten. <laughs> um, but that was actually just uh, just like worked up in my head. It, they were actually just really lovely. And um, yeah, I got to the fisherman and uh, skipped a lot of traffic.
1: What I, what I find amazing about this story, by the way, is I'm, I'm trying to identify what was the source of danger each time that <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. you know, described to me. Is it the lady in the pub? Is it the bronze skeletons? Was it the peninsula? Is it the boating? Is this, this person that you met in the hostel? And, and, and it's almost funny just to to have that preconceived notion of where your story is going. And so I'm actually like filtering what you're telling me through that lens of like, okay, well, what point is Connor in danger? And well, it was, it was more of like, man, there's a lot of uncertainty here and yeah, it's yeah. dark and I'm on
0: a bike. Yeah. It's more like FUD, just fear, uncertainty and despair. But it's like what I said earlier, like you, you kind of just, you're vulnerable and then you have a shield and you kind of like fluctuate between like, Oh, Hey, you're actually a real nice person. I could get to know you. Sure, I'll go to your house, and then you suddenly you're like, like when they told me it's a bit rough around here, you should pull your bike inside the house, and they like put my bike in the kitchen and they locked the door. I was like, that's freaky. My like my horse has been decapitated, and I'm like stuck inside the house. But yeah, it was no means to be uh to be afraid really.
1: And and the other thing too about uh, traveling. That sticks out to me is for me, one of the limiting factors has always been, um, you know, how much money it, it, it costs to travel and to have a meaningful experience, but, but in, in knowing you and all the times that you've, you've traveled, even in, in the last year, um, it, I guess, how do you, how do you budget it? This is, this is a far more practical, pragmatic question. True, true, like true. How do you, how do, how does someone who, you know, you've been, a, you've been a bartender bar, a manager for a number of years, not exactly the most lucrative position. Especially when we uh, compare and contrast to the other guests that we bring on the program, for for a completely unfair comparison. Um, But yeah, like, how do you how do you budget it? How do you uh, sort out the uh, the the means to
0: go wherever it is you feel like going? It's like you never stop traveling. I think like once, like in in my younger years, like as soon as I was uh, out of high school, I I went for it. Like seventeen, went to Europe for four months. And what you, well, I guess this kind of helps the whole context. When I went to Europe when I was 18, uh, I had this beautiful girlfriend, Kelly, first girlfriend. And I was so in love with her, that I was saving up for this trip the whole time we're in the relationship. And I saved up like 9,000 New Zealand dollars. I was working at a butchery as a cleanup boy for 18 months, $70 a week. And I went on the trip and I'd like never bought her a single gift in that whole year. So when I was in Europe, I was like, I'm going to get her like all the best stuff, best stuff being like the most superficial things like jewelry. So I bought her like earrings from where her grandma was born in Scotland, bought her like a a, a handmade ring in Venice, yada, yada, yada. Very quickly ran out of money and uh, my, my credit card didn't work in Europe. So for uh, uh, 24 days before I went back to London, I didn't have... Um, Many meals, and I lost uh, 16 kgs. I just had bread for like um, nearly a month, and yeah, really lost a lot of weight. And uh, was kind of like all my friends look like said I looked like a zombie. And um, what I learned from that trip was you should just always hold the same approach to money, even when you've got the money. So even now here, I'm just frugal. So when I like go on a trip, nothing really changes because I'm always just like buying food from the supermarket, cooking it myself. Um, I don't really drink much, um, so you save a lot of money by like not paying people to cook for you. And yeah, the bike packing trips that's exceptionally cheap because you're just like cycling around. It's really you just you just pay for the food and then you eat it and then you just camp somewhere. And yeah, if you're in like Europe or North America or. Then you have to uh, spend money on transport, but yeah, I always just opt for the bus, you know, or the the cheapest option.
1: Yeah, and and I think it, like I was saying earlier, is that it 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 speaks to a more uh, authentic experience. I think the more grounded you are, the more you know you're learning what it's like f- to live in in that in that place. Shop the, where they're shopping. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I don't I don't know about uh, camping outside. I assume that the locals there tend to have, have shelter, but for the yeah but, yeah. yeah, but for the most part. Um, but let's just say people go, they stay at an Airbnb instead of a hotel, you know, they get more of the experience of the, of a hospitality and, and, and speaking as somebody who, you know, I, I, I don't have cold showers, but I give myself a pass because I live in Canada. So it's cold always true. You know, it's uh, we do, we do chase after, uh, comforts. I I know I chase after comforts uh, quite a bit. It's hard. It's hard not to, I, d- I didn't have a military level of discipline instilled in me. So. It it goes to show how much of our uh, of our limiting factors are in our own minds, and that it it's not easy to get over them. But I guess there's some uh, uh, consolation in that if I know I'm doing something that's making me uncomfortable, that means I'm actually on the right path, and I'm going in the right direction. That's why, I, like, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I look forward to travel. You know, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna happen. Um, and and to, at least for my for my sake, I, I feel like. It's, it's going to happen around the time that's meant to happen based off my life's trajectory. So uh, yeah, it's a good, 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 good insights on that one. By the way, if you're a current user of Debutify or haven't tried us out yet, Debutify version 3 has been released and now is a good time to upgrade or get started as any. A streamlined user interface along with an ever increasing array of conversion boosting add-ons is waiting for you. So download today for free and start your journey. Who knows? maybe I'll be interviewing you before too long coming back to the company given that you know you've you've seen what people have to deal with when they're living with very very little and there's wild animals you know nearby as, as you say in Kenya or there's people living in extreme uh, unsafe conditions like in South Africa where there's uh, fences and I was almost also to say South America and Um, there might've been a lot of fences there too, or even just America, American South, a lot of fences there too. A lot of people in a lot of uncertain living conditions coming into the, this company and, you know, we, we, we talk about, we're helping customers and we want to solve their problems. How did you reconcile your perspective of the kinds of problems that you see people in other parts of the world facing where they don't even have the luxury of the internet to order stuff from Amazon, let alone having the internet and just not having Amazon. Versus the kind of problems that you see people are facing in the uh, developed world, such as, you know, here in Canada and in New Zealand and in the States. Good question.
0: Thank you. I worked hard on that. Sweet. I mean, I haven't even been able to reconcile that in myself because I often find myself complaining about something. And then I'll catch myself like, dude, like think of teacher John. He's like got a lot more going from, or Vincent in Kibera slums yeah one thing I would I would say that does reconcile it is like donating money so like just trying to like you don't really have to think about what you're doing because you're kind of like well some of this some of what I'm doing is just going to help people like so that kind of helps you to work harder because you're like this is all kind of like coming and going so yeah the um uh, what's it called the effective altruism movement, like donating 10% of your wealth to the most effective charities in the world. But yeah, I think I can't blame people who are like, this is a problem I have. You should, you should fix it. Even though it's like a semantic Shopify issue, people are living, we could get onto the the free will thing. Like you're just living a linear life and you're just like given these choices and given these problems and you have to make solutions and you can't get mad at people because their, their problems are smaller than other people. So, I think anyone that needs help, and if you're in a position to to lend data or guidance or uh, your time, then then yeah, you should. So yeah, and the company is is good for that. I love teaching, and I love like helping people out.
1: And you know, in in the I'll, I'll throw myself into the crucible as well. In regards to um, you know how re- reconciling my own uh, issues is uh, for me above all else. What matters the most is am i creating meaningful connections with other human beings and i and in in this last year i i've expanded my rolodex of contacts and connections tenfold more than i've ever experienced anything in my life um, between the people within the company as well as the the uh, the rolodex of guests um, you know earlier this week we we had uh, mark chapon back on it was the first time we had somebody back and there's just this huge smile on my face that this, that he wanted to come back and do another episode, and the idea that the uh, the work that I had done had uh had a meaningful impact on somebody whose time was very valuable to to come back and want to do more so when I do this with this program it, i i I'm, I'm still focused on doing my job, but I also think about you know what is my role and this is you know my uh, uh my my thing on like the you know the free will versus the fate uh aspect of it is just like you know trying to figure out what is my my greatest purpose um, and, and be able to stick to that path because having trust that, you know, this path laid out for me is the one that I should be on and it's where I can do the most good. And so, you know, that's the, that's the beauty. That's the thing that I really enjoy about what I'm doing here is just being able to look at the human beings in the face for a couple of hours a week and solve some small problems, solve some big problems once in a while debate God. You know, it's all good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. What do you find has been a a good problem that you've solved or uh what's one of the most meaningful connections you've you've made there? Uh, that's a good one. So the I mean, actually
1: incidentally, um the the first one was f- figuring out what was the fundamental objective. And so when we say solving problems, that in itself was the solution that I was looking for and that I needed uh right away to be like, you know, what is what is what is the truth that unites everything that we're doing here all together? And that is people have problems, we provide solutions and we're compensated for our time. And pe- if somebody can figure out the, um, the formula for solving problems on a large scale, they get compensated pretty well for it. And then they, and most of them seem to use that money to go do other things. Uh, and again, using Mark as an example, and now he's working on like, ooh, actually, I don't know if I should, well, he's working on something close to his passion, but I can't say anything else about that. But the idea is, you know, he, he, he made, he, he's earning a great living um, and then some off of e-commerce and it's actually helping him focus on, you know, what are the problems that he really wants to solve uh, beyond e-commerce. And, uh, and, it's, and it's great to be able to hear that story and, you know, inspire others to do as well. So it's kind of a cop-out answer. So I'll, I'll, think, I'll try to think of like another one that I can give you as well. One of them would have actually have been uh, affiliate marketing um which is a rather um banal term in the high-minded conversation that we're having but if we break down the essence of it it's encouraging people to talk about what they want to talk about and rewarding people for having a passion rather than reprimanding them for having a passion if somebody is uh, you know enthusiastic about jewelry or pet products or video games whatever it is they can think of in the whole wide world if they're passionate about it we want to encourage people to write about it and you know you put a link in it goes to somebody else who's selling a product and you get a commission for it it is it's win-win and i and i the thing that i've taken the most comfort in over the last year is feeling like i'm being part of a solution rather than being part of a problem is feeling like when somebody asks me down the street so what do you do the easiest way to summarize it, because I've given up on telling people that I'm a podcaster, is um, you know, I, I help people set, set up online businesses so that you know, they, can, they can generate their own revenue. And mo- most people seem to appreciate that. And, 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 th- and that means a lot to me is knowing that I'm uh, contributing to a large scale solution rather than a large scale problem. Um, and that will give you one more. So uh, funnily enough, again, it was the previous guest, Mark, who had brought up this concept of the e-com puzzle and how each person's view of the puzzle is probably a little bit different. Pieces might be of a different size. So like me, for instance, an affiliate is something I'm very enthusiastic about. SEO is more of like, I need to learn it. It's important, but it's just not going to be my strong suit no matter how hard I try. So my puzzle would be very different. and I And I think that there is a a limitation to what e-commerce will mean when somebody hears that word, they might think it's exclusively Shopify stores. And my, my argument is, you know, any transaction that happens online would to me technically be e-commerce. So if I order an Uber online, a car is delivered to me in the real world in the same way that if I order a product online, a product is shipped to me in the real world. So there's this intersection between reality and online. And so, one of my my goals within e-commerce is to help make e-commerce become commerce because um, the internet is the equalizer that everybody uh, can use to elevate themselves to the level that they feel they deserve to be at. And uh, at some point, I would like to see the E taken out of e-commerce and just, it comes to full fruition and we're actually in the true blending of the uh, online Varia- varia- all the variations of online interactions with how they will make our um, human lives
0: uh, as good as they can be. Yeah, yeah. I think that'll be great as long as the products are fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. and being, I'm and being fulfilled be. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and being fulfilled.
1: Okay, so actually, I guess I want to get back to um, from, from the beginning is, you know, your, uh, your aspirations as a film director because there was another um, uh, divergence between our, uh, how we approach our goals is you know your your advice what that was given to you that you abide by is you know don't focus on exactly what it's going to be focus more on the pursuit in a broad sense and i didn't get advice in one way or another the way i had come to it on my own is to actually focus very specifically on what is the exact thing that i want to do and the reason why i wanted to go that route was because it helped condition my decision-making to think, is this helping my goal or is it not helping my goal? And if it doesn't clearly help my goal, how will this feed into a broader strategy to get to that point? So the way I, I, I view it is try to get to the top of Mount Olympus. Because even if a person doesn't make it to the top, even if they end up on a village, a setup somewhere in the midpoint, that's still pretty darn good. But I felt like once I had figured out exactly what it is I want to do, it's given my life a lot of clarity and a lot of focus in, in making, even if I make a tiny minuscule step to get towards that, it's part of a, a life's mission. So it, the pressure is both on and off at the same time. I know it's weird, but I, I feel it, but I also don't feel it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good that you've come to that by yourself because it, if, you, if you're being too hard on yourself, it's just going to be a complete mess and you've got it. Yeah. You've got to remind yourself that you're doing good things.
1: So with, um, uh, with you in film is uh, not to, uh, uh, you know, make you contradict your, your, your motivations, but um, do you have a a vision for some of the content that you wanted to make down the line?
0: Yeah, it'd probably be like instilling curiosity, somehow like um, conveying the, the stories of my life in its essence, like not in an autobiographical sense, but more in like a, these are the lessons I've learned from being, like I, I I'm making a, I do a bit of other work, and I have this like term that I use is like radical openness, where like these situations where I'm like, you could put the shields up and you're like, uh, this just looks weird. This what am I doing? No thanks. I'm gonna keep going down the road. That's like the bike packing thing, but yeah, we'll flag that. If you just completely be radically open and you just see what people have to say. And like, you recognize that another person is another person and they've got a a reservoir of knowledge. um, That's that might not be like academic or um, within line with what you're interested in, but it's different. So like just that difference to me, I think I thrive off novelty. (coughs) I think I'd love to make a film about um, how that's useful for people. Because I think like today, we have a lot of shields. Like it's hard to even connect with you because I'm in New Zealand and like my girlfriend lives in Massachusetts and it's uh, it's a constant battle. Even my friends who live in Sunny Nook down the road, I get annoyed at them because they, they want to have a video call. And I'm like, let's just hang out. Like come to my house, I'll come to yours. And um, the technology is really great and it's easy to use. And I think, yeah, if I could just make a film that kind of instills a community, curiosity and openness. That would be great. And I guess that's kind of full circle because I'm not too bothered about what it will be. I know that I'll have fun making the films. And um, I also recognize that it's going to be a long time before I make that. Like lots of film directors were 30 plus when they started. I, I did a lot of reading of um, Werner Herzog when I was younger. And he says, You have to have your own story. If you want to be a storyteller, you can't just read what people have said. You've got to go out and really live. He says, Work in an insane asylum, be a bouncer at a nightclub, and for me, the radical openness comes from bike packing, because when you're cycling across a country, it, eventually the sun goes down during the day, and you've cycled all day, and it's like, "Oh, this is brilliant. this' I've seen so many beautiful sights. I had that great conversation at lunchtime, and the sun comes down, and you've got your tent on your back, and you're like, "I have to stop <laughs> somewhere." And that' choice comes in at like dusk and you think oh this village looks okay or this complete remote hillside looks okay and you just keep going you're like "No, there might be something better there might be something better and eventually it actually becomes dark and you're like i have to stop yeah that radical openness comes where you just have that decision power and you're like this looks okay or or i'll just keep looking
1: I I I cuz I think for me the uh the radical openness was probably instilled when I was in the comedy community for about 3 years. Um so for, for those of you wondering, yes, once in a while I did okay on stage. And you know, I was uh, I I would hear so many perspectives and people not only in people in comedy do they not have a filter? Many of them had an anti-filter where they would go out of their way to say things that are inappropriate. And I was just I mean I would just laugh at the delivery, but I would laugh at the the abrasiveness of it all. And it, it, it was a, it was an intense three years, but it it, it it instilled in me this willingness to listen to basically anybody. Like if I'm, if I'm sitting in the, uh, in, in the food court, in the atrium, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with the Eaton Center. It's like the flagship mall of Toronto. The atrium is this benign tumor that has cropped up that all the stores who can't make it into the Eaton Center, they just go to the atrium instead. So um, and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm eating, uh, eating my dinner and, uh, and, and a homeless person who's out of his mind comes and sits, uh, sits across from me and starts going off about, uh, well, it's been a while, but I'm pretty sure it was like communist China or something like that. And I, I think most people in that situation would probably have like, you know, either ignored it or try to shut it down. Um, but seemingly disregarding my own safety at the time, I just sat and listened to him. It came from, I guess. I, I I I'm i I'm comfortable hearing whatever opinions this person may have because I know they they they're they're not gonna scare me, they're not gonna affect me. It's this is how he sees the world and I'm just going to absorb whatever I can. I I, I like this idea of like, you know, venom can be very dangerous, but the antidote of the venom is also from the venom itself. One of the most dangerous jobs in the world is to extract the the the, the serum so that they can turn it into the antidote. So that's another thing that always resonated with me too, is like, your antidote always comes from the venom. So you do have to face that, that venom in some
0: way. Yeah, that reminds me of a story. Um, this kind of answers your question. Uh, what's the most dangerous you've ever felt? Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Can you tell me, sorry, we're actually in danger this time? That'd
0: be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, this is, well, there's another, yeah, there's a couple there. I once went swimming with uh, alligators and hippos. That's a long story. but um i didn't feel dangerous at the time so it didn't it didn't crop into my mind but yeah the 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 venom is a really good anecdote analogy there was this one time i was 16 and i was working on my first job the cleanup boy at the butchery and this guy came in uh into the store and he was like wearing a fight club (laughs) t-shirt big red fight club t-shirt and i was like you're not supposed to i've seen that movie that
1: shirt that
0: yeah 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 he's ruining the whole thing didn't listen and i was like man it's been a while it's nearly 10 years ago but i said something like oh nice shirt yeah i just said like nice shirt and he said oh yeah yeah um you want to play the movie and i was like oh no i'd probably kick your ass Mm -hmm. And like, I'm like this lanky 16 year old. This is like a 50 year old man, like well-built stocky guy. And he, he, he kind of like grunted, grunted. And like, I, I ended up having to like go into the, into the butchery in the back and do something else. And like 15 minutes later, we'd close the store. And I was going outside to get the A frames that, that like hold up all the specials and the offers. And I'm, putting stuff away. And I, as soon as I go outside of the shop, he's right there uh, waiting for me with his shopping on the floor. And uh, I'll have, I won't use his language because it's pretty rude, but he was like, I'm going to teach you a lesson and I'm going to beat your head in. And it was like, I am alone at the butchery because my manager's gone. And I'm like, whoa, what? Like just fully just shock. And I like, I'm training uh, Kung Fu at the time. And I'm like, I put my hands up like this, like the Wing Chun guard. And I kept like putting them up. And I said, no, you're not, you're not going to beat my head and you're going to go home. And I didn't, I didn't like do, there was no physical conflict. Like I've been in a few fights, but this was the the one time where I felt really scared because it was like building. And I just had to be like, no, you're not, you're, you're crazy. Go away. And There's been other times where I haven't had that luxury to talk to somebody. I've just been punched in the face. But this time it was very scary because I was like, what is about to happen? What's, what am I doing? And yeah, he, um, he didn't leave and I told him to go away and I went inside and I went and hid inside the, um, fridge where we kept all the pigs and cows and sheep. And I just closed that door and I waited for five or six minutes and Chris, the manager came back and. I told him what happened, and uh, he was actually just really keen to have a fight. He was like, "Oh, we'll go find him. We'll go get him." And I was like, "No way! I'm going home. I'm cycling out of here." And I got on my bike and I just, yeah, biked home. But yeah, that venom thing is really interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, some of the, some of that comes from you know being raised on the internet and you know being exposed to the opinions that the internet are known for. There's a lot of venom there, but so are the antidotes. Uh, so. I I think we, how long have we done? Yeah, we pretty much uh, done, done, done the hour. Pat himself on the back for my goal, which was to improvise the whole thing. So good one for that, Joseph. Um, So let's, uh, let's wrap this bad boy up. Um, Let us know. Well, I mean, the usual question is, I'd love to hear your your take on this, but uh, I always ask our guests, if you have any words of wisdom or just like a Chinese proverb, you really like something along those lines, you're welcome to share it. And then uh, it's, it's, let the audience know how to, how to find you, which you know,
0: shouldn't be too far off from uh, where our audience typically finds me. True. Great word of wisdom is if you don't like something, change it, but, but recognize that uh, a lot of things are out of your control. So try and change those things that are in your control, I guess. Another thing I learned just last week is uh, if you're down in a slump and you're like, you know, a bit depressed, try and You can do this exercise where you just look at your breakfast in the morning. You're like, oh yeah, I cooked that breakfast and I made myself a drink, a coffee, a tea. And you kind of look at it and you're like, wow, was that really me?" That kind of feels like a dream now. Like That was six hours ago. And if you take that perspective to your depressed period and you think, you know, in five years time, I'm going to look back at this and I'm going to laugh. Like, it's just not even going to be... I'm not even going to be able to identify with it because it's going to be such a distant, blurry memory. Yeah, try and hold that perspective if you're feeling down, because everything passes, really. And um you should try and change it and be a bit happier. But I mean, obviously, that's a bit idealistic. Sometimes it's it's really tough. So, good luck, I guess.
1: Yeah, but 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 um, so you know, that's uh, again going back to. Get into the top of Mount Olympus. It's the most. It's, it's it is the most lofty ambition I can come up with um, to to suit the analogy, and the 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 attempt is where all the value comes from, not the destination. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, yeah, classic. classic. And yeah, if you want to find us. You can probably just scroll down, and click the Debutify link.
1: Yep. Yeah. Just uh, he- head on over to uh, Debutify on YouTube where uh, Connor's videos are, are up. Um, unless you're already on the YouTube because we are very likely posting this video on both channels. So to everybody who is a, a subscriber and a viewer of the Beautify, if you enjoyed this conversation, Ecomonics is released twice a week. And we bring on people, not only who are, say, experts on dropshipping, but pretty much anybody in the e-commerce space is fair game. So, you know, we've had affiliate marketers, we've had SEO experts, we've had a couple of developers, we've had teachers, especially people who specialize in, say, Udemy or Teachable or online uh, learning platforms. um, We've had some truly remarkable people. Um, if If there's any episode that I'd love for people to check out, just to hear what it's like for me to like be physically shaking for the most of, uh, of the episode was um, uh, Greg Halpern. Um, this was uh, somebody I never in a million years th- would thought I would have the privilege to s- spend an hour with. And we actually chatted for like an entire hour before we turned the recording on. And I was never so excited before in my life to, to meet somebody. So um, there are some truly extraordinary people that are in this space because they are trying to make their own way. That's the thing that everybody's got in common. Everybody is trying to do things on their own. This is a, a, a community and an industry built off independence. And, and I, and I've said it before that the true movers and shakers of the world, I think are in this space, um, not to, to denigrate many other amazing people doing amazing things, but what's going on over here is truly something fantastic. And I, uh, am honored to be able to, uh, do my part. So with that, Connor, it's been great talking me with you, uh, uh, Laura knows we'll have another conversation pretty soon and um, <laughs> yeah to to our audience um, and on both sides on the Deputy Fight YouTube and also to my my people on Ecomonics, y'all should get to know each other uh, it is uh, a, a wonderful extraordinary thing to be able to do what I do for, for all of you so uh, thank you and take care we will check in soon and I mean we especially this time because you'll be hearing from Connor pretty
0: soon too You can hear from me right now. (laughs) Thanks for having us. And uh, yeah, have a great day. I had a schedule. I like it. All right. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoyed this content and want to help us thrive, please Take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, Head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.